Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in Concord. Because the extremists are taking over the state house, And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm Steve Marchand. And I'm Terry Harkins. Today, we're going to be talking about the priorities of younger people here in New Hampshire. We've got three great guests who are representing different parts of how we're going to get younger people and priorities of younger people into the game in New Hampshire politics and governance. So uh, Molly Lund Owen, 603 Forward, Karen Leo Hill, a city councilor in Lebanon, and Tony LeBranch of Amherst, a state representative. We're covering the whole gamut here, and we're really happy to have all three of you here today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So we're going to try to direct a little bit of traffic on this. And I'm going to, Molly, I'm going to start with you because in some ways what you're doing at 603 Forward probably is the, the umbrella in a lot of ways. You're touching so many different parts with your organization. Let's begin for the listeners who are not familiar with the organization. 603 Forward, your mission. How did you get involved with it? Yeah, so 603 Forward, we help young people run for office. We help young people engage in advocacy. And the the bedrock of all that is helping young people make sure we can vote. So we are a relatively new organization. We were founded in 2020. And I got involved as executive director out of my interest in making sure that people like me, working age adults, working parents are represented in government. You don't do that in a silo. You don't just say, hey, who wants to run for office? No, you you build skills in young people and you build their interest in in civic engagement through small actions around issues that young people care about. I'm a planning board member in Manchester. It's the highlight of my month to go to planning board meetings and ask developers if they could plant some street trees as part of their development. <laughs> and and what we do is is helping young people care about the issues and realize they actually have a way to get involved that could be voting, that could be speaking at a hearing, that could be running for office. There's so many ways to get involved in 603. Our goal is to empower working age folks to make a difference and build a more representative state. And Molly, before I I jump to some of the recruiting questions I have, I want to go back to the land use board that you're on in Manchester. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks in local government, I know, Karen, you've been a mayor, you're a city councilor, you, you appreciate this. I've been a mayor, is the power of local land use boards. And a lot of times we're all begging for quality people to jump up and participate. Um, How easy was it for you to get involved in a position like that? And there's a lot of juice in that position, is there not? It is incredible the direct difference that a, a land use board member can make. I can drive around Manchester and say, wow, I asked for those flower boxes. I asked the developer to put in that tree. We requested that they change the, the look of that building. At one point in Manchester alone, there were 30 vacant positions. So you asked how I got involved. There was a vacancy. Someone's term expired. And I was asked to step up and I submitted my resume to the mayor and I was appointed. Um, It's incredibly easy to get involved. They meet after work. So I have to find childcare two nights a month, which is luckily relatively doable. And we make decisions on what sort of housing the city um, is approving, what sort of businesses are are moving into our city and we we help make the city a more livable economically vibrant place it really is one of the best ways for a relatively new resident to a community or relatively young resident to get involved you do have to find the babysitter occasionally we found that uh, back in the day for me but it's not full-time it's typically not during the day so it eliminates a lot of the work related conflicts 
and there's often vacancies just waiting for quality people to fill. And you were relatively young when you took on that position, if I'm not mistaken. I was I was 31, and I was also breastfeeding. And fortunately, the meetings were remote during COVID, so I was able to nurse oh, wow. my baby during those meetings. And that was a unique situation that isn't the case anymore. We now meet in person. But to have that moment in time where people could participate remotely in city government was an incredible gift in, in my situation. Karen, like I said, you know local government stone cold. You've done it all. So talk to us a little bit. Let's take take you back. How old were you when you first ran for office and what motivated you to get in the game and run for office? Thanks, Steve. So I am 43 and I guess I have to do the math now. I was I've been uh, in city government for 17 years, so I was 26 when I ran for city council for the first time. And I love hearing Molly's story, actually, because it has so many connections. The thing that actually got me uh, kind of inspired, I guess, or my first taste of local government was when I attended a planning board meeting. The uh, I was living on some campus housing because uh, I was still an undergrad. Uh, I did my undergrad at Dartmouth, and so I was living in West Lebanon. There's some undergraduate house, uh, some some housing there, and the mm-hmm. the building that I was in was going to be torn down and replaced with new uh, with new housing. And so, literally, the very house, the apartment that I was living in with my um, with my baby daughter at the time was going to be torn down. And so I find this is a way that a lot of people get involved actually is when something is happening in their backyard or front yard as the case might be. Um, and so I went to a hearing and I think I was probably 21 years old at that point and uh, maybe 22 And that was my first taste. A few years later, it was actually the Howard Dean campaign that I had been involved in. And uh, that was what inspired me to run for office myself. Howard Dean, when he um, withdrew from the presidential campaign, some people might remember he actually said, you know, voting isn't enough. You get a D for voting. You get a C if you give money to a campaign. You get a B if you knock on doors. And I think you know where this is going. You get an A if you run for office. And I wanted that A. So I uh, looked around to see what I could do. And there was a little bit of... Um, some some stuff happening locally. There were some older folks on the city council in Lebanon, and there were mm-hmm. words like dysfunctional being thrown around about our city council. And I thought, well, I don't have a lot of experience, but I have a lot of energy and a lot of passion. And maybe um, my you know fresh ideas um, can help add something to this conversation. So I ran for office, and I defeated a longtime incumbent. Um, and there were fewer than 600 voters involved in my first election. So we can talk about that um, later, but that's how I got started. And actually I now have, uh, so I've been on the city council for 17 years and actually my younger child was born while I was on the city council. We did not have remote participation, but I loved Molly's (laughs) breastfeeding story because actually my, uh, my child Zoe came to meetings with me um, you know, it's, it is true that you can participate 
some people can participate more. It's more accessible maybe at the local level because the meetings are at night um, and don't necessarily conflict with work. But the last thing that I wanted to do mm. after coming home from a long work day was to spend more time away from my infant. And so Zoe came with me to city council meetings and I would just turn my chair away to get her latched on and turn right back around and participate in meetings the person next to me, my next door neighbor on the city council, their seatmate there, he actually said to me one time, how do you keep your baby so quiet during meetings? <laughs> so apparently I was uh, discreet enough that it didn't distract. Um, but I love that story, story too. And I've had a good, good chats with Arnie Arneson, who also breastfed on the floor of the uh, state house um, in Reps Hall as well. So yeah, powerful women. We got to do what we do. And you know, do a lot of multitasking. <laughs> I guess he's never breastfed. That's a great way to keep a baby quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> it breaks barriers in a number of ways. I think the novelty, it's, it, there's novelty in both of your stories that makes it easier for the next person. They can, they can see that there's somebody in the same shoes or similar shoes. And it says, well, I could do this too, theoretically. I could make this work. And that's a huge, that's a, that's a, that's a Rubicon that needs to get uh, crossed in order to get somebody from out of the game to into the game. And uh, Karen, you've been doing this long enough. You get an A+, plus, I think, using the Howard, the Howard Dean you. grading scale. You get a double A+. Plus. Um, Tony, you're in your first term. Um, you're even younger than uh, of, of all of us here that have served in local office or, at, or, or at, um, in government. How old were you when you first ran? And what made you decide... Uh, to be so bold and to go for it in a district, by the way, that is not a gimme district for a Democrat by any means. I mean, this one, you you had to do the work. Talk about that experience. And uh, obviously it went well. Yes, I was 18 years old when I first ran for state representative. Uh, and before I had ran for state representative, I had run for my local school board as a senior in high school. Um, I, I ran for local school board because we were facing a, a lot of issues in my district. Uh, especially at my school, going to classrooms that didn't have heating uh, or cooling. Uh, they had holes in the ceiling, leaking ceilings when it rained. Um, we were dealing with a lot, and it just felt like the current board cared more about its position uh, in staying in power than it did actually listening to the students and teachers and what we were facing. So I said, I'm going to run, and I'm going to share my story and what I experienced at the school with the general public so that they know what is going on. Because when the school board can just uh, present to the public, they'll try to make it so that it's their version of the story. But in sharing that with the public and getting people to understand what we were facing, I believe that was what started change in Amherst. And, and since then, a lot of younger individuals have become active in actually attending board meetings. Uh, I have never seen such student participation at board meetings since my run. And while I was running for school board, I realized Education funding's not, not an Amherst issue, it's a New Hampshire issue. Uh, places across our state are dealing with the same exact issue that Amherst is. Uh, and that's what really spawned the idea of running for state representative to fix education funding. And I was also, as I said, a senior in high school when that decision was made, and learning that state representatives are only paid $100 a year <laughs> it, it's systemic discrimination against young people because how can someone have a full-time job but still be a legislator? How can someone survive being a legislator? Um, 
it's difficult. And that's definitely what pushed me to run for state representative is to address those systemic inequalities in representation. Uh, I believe that myself, I br bring the average age of the New Hampshire House down by two years. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Thank goodness. Good job. <laughs> so that, that's why I decided to run is uh, to deal with the systemic inequalities we have in our state uh, and exactly what I've experienced in my life. And Tony, that's a lot of work when you have the, all those bills coming in and you have to read them overnight. Yes, and I, 28 of the bills this year are mine alone, so definitely a lot of work. Uh, I definitely put all my ideas on paper and made them bills, and I've been busy <laughs> all year uh, testifying in front of committees, but it's, it's the good fight. Uh, even just starting a conversation is better than, you know, the idea being sidelined simply for my youth and being uh, an everyday citizen, bringing these ideas forward and actually starting a discussion in committee. Uh, is more progress than just not talking about it. Well, something that all three of you have touched upon in one way or another, I, I'm going to address this to Molly, but it's really to all three of you. So I'll start with you, Molly. You're in the recruiting business as part of 603 Forward. Uh, you hear a lot of reasons why people can't do it, uh, real or perceived obstacles to serving. Uh, can you talk about what some of the most common things you hear in terms of obstacles and what are some of the ways that we all help remove those obstacles or remove some of the preconceived notions that make it feel like it's just too hard for people, relatively young, working age people, people with kids to get out there and take the next step like you guys are doing? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. I think the, the biggest obstacle folks bring up in my work is that they don't know they can run for office. There are so many positions available, especially in New Hampshire, when we have 400 uh, state reps in our state house. And at least dozens of local elected positions as well, not to mention the number of appointed positions on our committees that you've probably entered a ballot box and Googled some of the names there. Um, I'm embarrassed that I'm admitting that I have done this. And there's no there's no information available about them. So so never mind for someone who's interested in, in serving and interested in getting involved saying, wow, where do I start? It feels overwhelming, the lack of information out there. So what we try to do is is break it down. We coach people one-on-one, -on -one, we host information sessions, we bring together current elected leaders and make sure that it's a welcoming community feel to, to realize that if you run for office, you don't do it alone. You don't just raise your hand and step into a ring and, um, you know, there's a lion you're, <laughs> you're going after. It's, it's a community um, event and the most important thing for young people to know is that your network, those those relationships that you're building are the the folks who will be volunteering on your campaign, who will be donating money to you, and, and most importantly, who will be voting for you. So someone who says, oh, I can't run for office, I don't know what to do in that position, or I don't know what I would run for, it's, it's the people who are most involved in their communities who would make the best candidates, and we help people gain the skills and the confidence to to run for the position that's right for them, right? So maybe it's seeking appointed position or maybe it's running for school board, like in the town meeting day elections next next Tuesday. There's at least 50 people under 50 running across the state. That's the most that we've we've tracked in the last couple of years. So it shows that people are learning more about running for office. Unfortunately, it's because of all the the cost, the toxic culture right now in some of our school board um, meetings and some of our city council meetings that has brought people to the table, but in a, in a way it's beneficial to making sure people know that there are folks like them on the ground making these decisions about their schools and communities, and they can be one of those people. And it does, you mentioned this, it does seem like for better or worse, the action, the political 
intensity, the attention is increasingly going down ballot for, to school boards, to boards of aldermen, city councils, mayors. Um, the school boards in particular seem like a tremendous opportunity. And Karen, you were saying this in your first election. I think you said there were something like 600 votes cast. So we're it's this is a scale that is doable out of the box, especially with the kind of infrastructure. But Karen, you I mean, over the course of 17 years, you've run a business, you've been in county office, you've been mayor, you've been a counselor, you've been a mom, you've done all these things uh, overlapping. So you've had a lot of times where it would have been easy to to understand why you would say, no, I can't do it this time. And yet you've gotten to yes. Um, talk about how you've been able to get to yes with all these balls you've been juggling in the air. The truth is that when I became a mother, that was a real life-changing impact for me. And I felt this sense, this keen sense that um, of responsibility, that the world was not a good enough place for my children yet, that there was too much injustice, that there was too much inequality, too much unfairness. My older child is biracial. And, um, you know, I, I, it really became very personal to me, all of the systemic inequality and the disparities. And, uh, and I, I just had this real awakening in a personal sense. I think for a lot of people who go into office, there is that sense of awakening. I heard Tony talking about that when uh, in, in his experience as a student and saying, this isn't good enough um, and I need to do something about it. So for me, that was becoming a mother. For some people, it might be something happening to their neighborhood that really gets them involved or it might be um, something, some sense of uh, injustice that feels personal to them. You know, I think that there's a few things um, that I that I wanted to comment on in connection to what Molly was talking about. Running for office does feel overwhelming, but even before that, what I have seen is that a lot of people, they've never even thought of it. And I have had the great fortune of being part of uh, the Young Elected Officials Network, which is uh, a group for People under the age of 35, I graduated out of it a few years ago, but it was a tremendous support group for people under the age of 35 all across the country. This is uh, People for the American Way um, sponsored this program or, and did an annual convening where we would get together school board members, city councilors, some state reps as well, and just be a support for each other. And it can be, as a young person, I would imagine Tony is experiencing this, it can be so isolating. You really have a sense that you're in it on your own. So, you know, number one, one of the things I learned at the Young Elected Officials Network is that particularly for young women, that you you need to ask them. They need mm. to be asked because they might not, for whatever reason, they might not think of it themselves or they might not think that they're the right person. But just being asked is actually going to make a big difference. And so I have made a dedicated, concerted effort over the last 17 years to ask people. I ask people to run all the time. And you know what? <laughs> Sometimes they actually do it. And so I've been pretty happy about that. The other piece is creating that sense of a community. And um, for me, that Young Elected Officials Network 
has been um, just was incredibly validating and allowed me to share some of the frustrations that came from being told, oh, we've tried that before. It's not going to work. Or, oh, you know, you don't you don't really know enough yet, um, which is something that happens. And young people in office do face um, you know, discrimination in a lot of ways. And so having a support network, I think, is another important piece. So asking people and then giving them support, allowing them to connect with each other, I think is a really important part. And it sounds like that's exactly what Molly's group is doing. And I just, I love to see that um, coming together. Oh, indeed. I mean, watching what Molly and 603 Ford are doing it sounds like uh, a lot of the, the same values you've just described, which you can already see the difference in the number of younger people uh, running for office and winning more often than not uh, when they seek office. And Tony, I mean, you had a unique situation. What would be some of the advice that you would give to other uh, people um, who may be at a very young age, maybe they are interested in running because they're, fe- they, they're feeling the vibe that you felt, the need to make something happen. Um very intimidating at that age. What's the advice you would give somebody if uh, if they were in your shoes? A piece of advice I wish I had when I started was staying close to your family, your friends, and keeping a very close network because, as Molly said earlier, it's not you alone uh, running for office. It's not you alone being active in your community. It is really uh, fighting for what is right. Um, and a lot of people will support you in that effort, uh, and you'll meet a lot of new people along the way. I know that my original run for school board, I met so many people, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies, as they say. Uh, <laughs> definitely met a lot of people, made a lot of friends. Obviously, not everybody agrees with you, but I used those connections to run for state rep because I had more connections in my community, and, and a lot of people who have been residents are active in the community for 20 plus years and i've only been alive 20 years so (laughs) definitely good resources to have in just building that network uh, and staying in touch with them because i find myself in committee or at the state house i'm like i know this person has expertise in this field so i'm going to text them i haven't talked to them in two months but they're my go-to person on that that field uh, of Mm. study so uh definitely keeping a close network and uh knowing that you're not alone. And that makes a lot of sense. And yet we've been talking about the process. How do we get more people, uh, frankly, younger than baby boomer to run for office and help make the policy changes? But let me take a second and, and just throw this out at all of you about what those changes might actually look like, you know, not just people getting into office, but what the ramification, the positive ramifications would be. A couple of statistics that Terry and I alluded to before we began this segment so 26% of the state is millennial aged, okay? 2% of the legislature is millennial aged. 26%, 2%. Gen X, that's me. And uh, Karen, that's you, that's I think, right? right? Yeah. yeah. 28% of the state is Gen X. 8% of the legislature is Gen X. So that means 10% of the legislature is younger than baby boomer, even though the majority of the state's population is younger than baby boomer. So imagine a legislature where something closer to the ratio of the general population was reflected in the legislature and on city councils and mayoral seats and planning boards and so forth. What does that look like? Like, give us the upside of what happens when we do get more people 
fed into the system with the values and experiences that you're talking about today? What's that look like? I think it looks like something Tony mentioned that uh, school funding wouldn't be the lowest in the nation. It wouldn't be on the backs of property owners and retired individuals whose taxes keep going up in order to fund schools. It would look like having meetings during the evening or maybe maybe paying our legislators a living wage. Wouldn't that be crazy? It might look like we actually support housing. Uh, it's It's embarrassing the number of housing projects we've approved on the planning board that are affordable. I mean, I could count on on Mm. two hands and we've approved thousands of units. It might look like um, our legislators representing us. It might look like a body of people who who are more diverse, as we know that the the youngest citizens or residents of New Hampshire are much more racially, ethnically diverse than the rest of the the state. I think it would also look a lot like people making decisions about the long term and Mm. not necessarily being so focused on the immediate. Um, It's a tough thing, but I I see this. the, the, The school funding point is so, it's really, it's the elephant in the room on every single policy issue in this state. And I see it at the local level. You know, in, in Lebanon, we feel that burden even more because as a city, and I know other cities feel this as well, that, you know, we are a city of about 14,000 people. But because we're the city, we're the place where the jobs are. We're the place where recreation happens. We're the place that has the hospital, the major medical center for all of northern New England. Um, and so during the day, our population is anywhere from thirty to 40,000 people and sometimes more. But it's those local property taxpayers, the 14,000 people who live in the city of Lebanon, who have to pay those taxes. And then you can understand you have people on Social Security who are like, I can't afford my taxes to go up. So then you can understand when the school board says, hey, we need to build a new school because the the roof is you know leaking and the kids are having to do their specials in class in closets and you know that was an issue in Lebanon it took us five votes to pass our new middle school 10 years ago and we're we're in the same process again with renovations that are desperately needed to some of our other schools but you can understand why people vote down those budgets because their taxes are so damn high and i think if we had, you know, 50% of the legislature, or what is it, 54% of the legislature yeah. being millennials who are relatively fresh out of school themselves and remember what that experience is like, and we had people, millennials and Gen Xers, who have kids in school who understand that, I think that we would be making better decisions about how to pay for things in the state of New Hampshire that wouldn't disproportionately impact people on social security where we would the the burden of the of the common good would be shared more equally among the people who have to pay for it and so i think what a you know what a world what a new hampshire would look like that was more represented in terms of um, age is actually a more fair and a more just and a much more forward-looking place the idea of representation is such a basic one. And the fact that most representatives are either retired or independently wealthy 
does not reflect the population of New Hampshire. And I would say that it makes them disconnected from the reality of what everyday people actually uh, live uh, with. Because uh, there's just so many things that are said in the house or on the house floor that are disconnected from reality. For example, college is no longer $10 a credit. Oh. Uh, for example, <laughs> a very prime example that I'm, you know, obviously in college and dealing with. It's not $10 a credit, although I wish it was. Especially in New Hampshire. <laughs> Especially in New Hampshire. Oh, that's right. That's right. So the idea of representation and actually having a, a legislative body that represents the people as it should would be revolutionary. We would actually have more students staying in state than actually leaving because I know 99% of my friends from high school leaving New Hampshire and they're never coming back because we just have such a toxic state when it comes to young people. I myself am dealing with having to find affordable housing. Affordable housing is not a word you say in Amherst. It doesn't exist, no. uh, let alone in cities like Nashville and Manchester. It doesn't exist. So having actual representation and actually knowing the reality on the ground and having individuals that have lived that would change the game completely. And that's why I always try to encourage other people that I know to run. Uh, and even just high schoolers at my school who have seen me in my campaign, hey, why don't you run for school board next when you graduate? Because that is what is going to start this movement of more young people getting elected. And hopefully once we get so many young people elected who actually understand our situation. Hopefully, we will be able to uh, have systemic change. And Tony, just before we uh, prepare to wrap up, I want to note too, Molly being on the planning board, I'm sorry to be a broken record. I used to be a municipal auditor. I was a mayor, so I love this stuff. <laughs> and the planning board, when you talk about housing, I'm telling you, you hear it around the state, top three issue and going up. It is becoming a dominant issue in New Hampshire policy and politics, that is definitely the, the party that owns that issue and is seen as solving problems with that issue isn't just going to make a big difference. But from a political point of view, among Gen Xers and millennials, uh, they will be successfully addressing a top two or three issue among the majority of the population, the younger 54 percent of the population. And it's sitting there and it's going to get solved by planning boards about as much as anybody. And I notice it's really tough to get people, for example, that rent to ever get on a planning board. And yet it's the renters who often understand very well the obstacles to being able to get into the world of housing in a community. There is such a disconnect. It's sitting there. And I hope a lot of folks uh, take one of the things they take out of this today is the opportunity at the school board level, the city council level, the planning board level to get in the game early major impact available very quickly. And a lot of times you don't even have to run for office. It's an appointed position for a lot of these land use boards. Uh, before we wrap up, obviously other issues that talk about the long view, Karen, that you mentioned a moment ago, energy and the environment are a couple of obvious ones. Talk about that as a group, um, the opportunity there for younger people to get involved and address that key long-term issue. Well, I think it's a great point. You know, Right now, sadly, the, the toxic culture of the state house is that people are debating whether New Hampshire should secede from the union. <laughs> They're talking about rolling back energy efficiency 
uh, programs that have been actually doing good work for a long time. They're they're getting distracted by by passing legislation that would allow uh, you know the the um, a man to decide whether a woman could have an abortion. These are things that are honestly there, and they're pulling money out of the public school system uh, into private and religious schools. I think that if we had a more representative legislature, we would be making uh, a, a concerted effort to actually tackle climate change. I mean, that is the existential crisis. And I think that younger people fundamentally get it because we're still going to be around when it all happens. It is happening now. But I think when you know that you're likely to be around for another 30, 40, 50 or more years, it changes how you make decisions right now. And so I think instead of talking about seceding from the union, we would be actually dealing with the real problems. We would be talking about um, paid family medical leave and making it possible for working parents um, to have quality time with their infants at a time that matters most for their long-term success. We would be talking about housing and how to actually build the kind of housing that would make young people want to stay in New Hampshire. So as one of the youngest legislators, climate change is always on my mind. And there's some nights where I just think to myself, what am I doing? Because sometimes it just feels like such a systemic issue. There's some nights where I believe no matter what I try to do, it's going to happen and it's just going to get worse. And as a 20-year-old, it's, it's heartbreaking to have to think that the world is going to be very different in just a matter of years and it's going to be worse. So inspiring other people to run and step up so that I'm not alone in this fight because as the youngest rep, I'm the one that's going to have to actually see the consequences of climate change and what it does to the seacoast and our ecosystems and everything here in New Hampshire and around the world. It, it bears a great deal on me. And that's why I really hope a lot of people run for office and really bring that to the forefront. As you said, the secession bill came to my committee. Why am I spending time on that when we could actually be tackling the issues of climate change and environmental destruction? It's a good way of putting it. And Molly, as you are, uh, as part of 603 Forward, uh, we've talked about housing. Uh, climate change, environmental and energy policy. What are some other issues that you think belong in that same bucket, the same conversation that we're having? I thank you, Steve. I really have to bring up childcare. I paid um, $18,000 in rent last year, and I paid $14,000 in childcare for one child. And that's very average. That's not expensive in New Hampshire. The math just doesn't work out if the average income is about $54,000 in the state. The number of parents I know who choose not to work or are trying to work where their child is home or, or have their, their child with family or friends who may or may not be responsible and may yes. or may not be educating yes. the future of our state is heartbreaking. So childcare is certainly one of them. Legislative reform, so uh, ways to make it easier mm. for young people to serve. We had a bill two years ago that would turn the smokers room in the state house into a, a childcare room. It it didn't succeed. There's not a childcare room, but there is no more smokers lounge, which is an exciting step in the right direction. <laughs> um, other things we could be talking about are making it New Hampshire a place where young people want to live and want to raise their family. A, a big part of that is arts and culture. It's it's not one of those heavy issues, but it's incredibly important for keeping people in this state. And many of the 
the people working in the arts and entertainment and hospitality industries are younger and they need to be able to afford to live here and and work here too to to keep all of us thriving and connected. So as we close up, a question I'd be remiss if I didn't ask all of you. In a, give us one or two quick ways. How can uh, people, particularly younger people, newer people to the process, take the next step and get involved, particularly as we approach the fall elections? It'll be here before you know it. 400 legislative seats, county office, all kinds of things are going to be available. How can people take the next step and get involved? I would say, Steve, if I could take this one, uh, visit 603forward.org and click on Run for Office. We have an information session coming up at least once a month, um, possibly twice a month, and you're able to book an appointment with my colleague or myself to talk about running for office and learn what your steps might be. Um, another way is if you are one of the the older generation, you're incredibly valuable in the process of making sure young people are running. Uh, make a donation. Make a donation to us. Make a donation to a young candidate. And anyone, even if you're not ready to run, can volunteer on a campaign and make a donation to a candidate in order to to help them talk to voters and help them make their case for why they should be representing their community in the state house. And I will just say that 603 Forward was one of those organizations that did help me run for office and really gave me the skills I needed to run for office. Uh, And besides that, I would say there's more ways than just running that you can be part of the process. Knowing the candidates, working for the candidates, donating to the candidates, and just being an informed voter, just doing what you can to help. Because, you know, a lot of us are working full-time jobs. A lot of us are busy just trying to get by as young people, especially my generation in college and working and trying to find affordable housing somewhere in New Hampshire. But just being involved in the process in any way that you can is helpful. And I would add that um, I guess I'm the senior. I'm the senior one on this panel, no. which is so funny because <laughs> for a long time I'm used to being the youngest one. And I love that. But it's really important. So I'll offer advice to not young people, to people who are maybe middle-aged or retired. Or um, First of all, I think it's really important for us to think about succession planning. Um, It's important for us to be cultivating young people to be able to fill the seats. Those boomers are going to retire eventually. And if we're not ready, if we have not built that pipeline of uh, encouraging younger people to run, we're going to have a lot of people who don't have experience on their hands. And so it's important for us to think about how we backfill. So as I think about my own future, I think about who is going to replace me on the city council? Where can I be encouraging people to come to meetings, to learn about how the city council works, to maybe sign up for planning board or If planning board seems like a little bit of a heavy lift, maybe you could be on the Pedestrian Bicyclist Advisory Committee or the Recreation Commission or the Cemetery Commission. There's a lot of ways you can be involved that doesn't have to be a huge stretch. It can be kind of dipping your toe in uh, in the pool instead of jumping right in, which if you're ready to jump right in, that's great. And I think the other thing that we need to do is ask people to run because... Some people are a little timid, 
and a little encouragement. Maybe they won't say yes the first time, but maybe you keep asking and eventually they will run. Or maybe you're going to ask and someone else is going to ask them and they're going to eventually think, you know what, maybe there's something to this. So let's think as some of the older generation, Steve, (laughs) let's think about (laughs) encouraging, asking people to run and thinking about when is the right time for us to, you know, respectfully bow out and let young people take the lead. I love that you said that, Karen, because anyone listening could call a town clerk and say what positions are available in any yes. given town. That's that's a way. If you're an average working person, busy paying the bills, paying back your student debt, scraping macaroni and cheese off the floor <laughs> under the dining room table again, <laughs> that might be hard for you, calling the town clerk, and maybe they say nothing's available, but there might be something available tomorrow. In fact, I almost guarantee it. So if you can yes. do that for those top five young people in your life who you think would be great and match them up with the position. And that's really the first step to, to getting involved. If you think you do want to run, or if you think you know someone who wants to run for state rep or would be an excellent state rep this year, the filing deadline is June 10th is the last day to decide that you want to run to, to submit your, um, your papers to, to file to run. So before then, I encourage you to visit 603forward.org and join one of our information sessions. Send us an email, reach out and book a time. Um, but also talk to your community. Talk to your family and friends about what it might take to run. Talk to your current state rep or one of your local elected officials about how they started, what, what their first steps were. And realize you're, you wouldn't be doing this alone. We At my organization, we will coach you and, and support you up until the filing deadline. And there are incredible organizations who will help you beyond that point. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's 400 state reps right now. They all ran a campaign and and every two years before then there were 400 more. So you <laughs> wouldn't be alone. And it's just so important for young people to to know that. And that was Molly Lunn-Owen, who if you weren't sure if she was the executive director of 6034.org. Thanks, Steve. Then you, you should know that by the end of this segment. Molly, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Karen, longtime friend, Karen Leo Hill, city councilor in Lebanon. She's done it all. She continues to do it all. And if you didn't know that at the beginning, you know that now, too. Karen, thank you so much for being here today. It was a pleasure. And Tony LeBranch, a first-term state representative from Amherst. Difficult district, almost impossible at times when I was younger to imagine a Democrat much less fresh out of high school with boundless energy and a ton of great ideas, being able to win and he did it. Tony, thanks so much for being here. Love your story, love your energy, and love what you're doing so early in your career here in public service. My pleasure, and I'm happy to share my story with anybody. Thanks, all of you, for coming on and making us smarter today. This has been Granite State Matters episode on What's Important to New Hampshire Youth with Molly Lunn-Owen, Karen Leo Hill, and Tony LeBranch. Our next episode will discuss one of youth's highest priorities, climate action. We'll be talking with Dr. Bob Friedlander about how the lack of it impacts health in our state. And just remember, you can follow our bi-weekly podcast at your favorite podcast provider and share it with friends and neighbors because extremists are taking over the state house. And what you don't know can hurt you. <laughs>